This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Ken Goldman. Uh, I'm CFO of uh, Yahoo, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. And uh, go have fun listening. This is episode 336. Uh, the banks were shut down for business. Uh, the economy started to head south. Being in the energy industry, we were somewhat of a slave to oil and gas prices. And when the economy goes down, oil and gas prices go down dramatically. It's a highly cyclical business. And then what ensued was a real eye-opener to me, something I never really worried about in, in my preceding 30-plus years. Uh, working in finance, uh, and that is cash. All of a sudden, cash was hard to get, and we were losing cash. And I realized that we were operating this ship blind. We didn't know what cash was going to be next week, the week after, 30 days from now. And all of a sudden, I began to appreciate how important cash was. I'm not aware of any CFO that was fired for having too much cash on the balance sheet. I know CFOs that were fired for having too little cash on the balance sheet. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Tony Trapoto, a career CFO who is today Executive Vice President of Helix Energy Solutions, a provider of subsea technologies. Now, Tony is CFO Emeritus of Helix and, in fact, has written a book titled The Successful CFO. It's clear he's given a good deal of thought about finance leadership. And so without a doubt, he's a coveted interview for us and one we believe you'll find memorable. We welcome Tony after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Hello, we're speaking to Tony Tripodo a career CFO and current executive vice president and senior advisor at Halix Energy Solutions, a provider of subsea technologies to offshore energy producers around the world. Tony also just authored a book titled The Successful CFO. So we look forward to learning more about that. But first, welcome, Tony. 
Thank you, Jack. Nice to be here today. Well, there's so much we, we've got to cover here. What is uh, the impetus for uh, writing a book in this latest chapter of your career we're curious about? But first, as always, uh, Tony, if you wouldn't mind, we like uh, for our guests to take us a little bit back in time and share with us what were those original career experiences that you feel helped prepare you uh, to become a finance leader? Uh, well, Jack, I started my career out in public accounting and uh, came out of school, went straight into public accounting and became a tax specialist at a big four accounting firm and uh, thought that I would spend the rest of my career as uh, a tax specialist, so to speak, and aspired to be a uh, tax partner in, in a big four accounting firm. Where were you located? What part of the country? I actually worked in the Fort Lauderdale office of Pricewaterhouse. Uh, I left the grind of public accounting to join a, an energy company in Houston, Texas, uh, back in 1980, but as a, uh, as a tax specialist and ultimately uh, the head of taxes for this uh, uh, particular energy service companies, which had a global footprint, so it was a pretty robust, complicated job. And I thought to myself that this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my career because it was <clears throat> a career that I was comfortable with, uh, was highly specialized, and made an impact to the company. Oh, about seven years into my reign in that company, the head of human resources tapped me on the shoulder and said, are you going to spend the rest of your life as a uh, tax nerd? And I said, mm, uh, let me think about that. He said, because we would like you to go into general finance management. Uh, we'd like you to consider becoming controller of one of our big business units. And at that point, uh, it really a seminal moment in my career because it was a, a real decision I had to make as to whether I wanted to remain in my comfort zone or get outside my comfort zone. And I ultimately made the decision to get outside of my comfort zone, and that really launched my career path to becoming a CFO, Jack. But you're, you were not yet at Helix yet, is that right? This was a, a company before that. Uh, Baker Hughes. Uh, I was working at Baker Hughes cor uh, corporate office and went to work as a controller of one of the business units of Baker Hughes. Uh, it, well, let me ask, uh, how many years later was it that you, uh, you joined Helix? Uh, from that point on, I joined Helix probably uh, 30 years later. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, so yeah, I guess I'm wondering – um, you know, it, you had a, a lot more experience when you 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 uh, land at Helix and a much better understanding of the role you wanted to create for yourself. Um, but I'm wondering what happened during that that 30 year space. Were you involved in whether mergers and acquisition experience? What was the type of experience you gained over that period? First joined the general finance ranks at Baker Hughes. I was a controller for a business unit and then was quickly promoted to CFO. Uh, but but I was not the CFO of the public company. I was the CFO of a business unit of the public company. So I was approached uh, some years later uh, and recruited as the CFO of an energy company in Houston called Veritas DGC. Uh, as as the CFO. So uh, I felt that in order to move up 
and have a more diverse background. I actually needed to be the, the chief financial officer of a public company and felt that perspective was important in terms of rounding out my career, Jack. How did you, did you at the time have a plan of action? How did you get from A to B to C? I was recruited, um, you know, like anybody else that's recruited, uh, references are important. And obviously somebody referred me as someone who would be a good candidate to jump from a business unit CFO's role to, to the public company role. Do you have any advice for people uh, when it comes to working with recruiters? It sounds like they served you well. Well, I think you have to be yourself. Uh, I also think you don't need to oversell yourself. Um, so be yourself and don't oversell. Be natural. And I think that goes a lot longer, uh, goes a, a lot further than somebody that's trying to promote themselves. Now, when you arrived in the, the office, uh, the first CFO role where you were really teaming with a CEO, at what point in your career did that perhaps happen? Uh, that happened early in my career when I was at uh, Baker Hughes, uh, and that is actually an important uh, inflection point in my career because when you come from a highly technical background like tax, you're, you're, you're worried about the technical aspects of doing a job. Uh, you're worried about very esoteric tax rules, and you're worried about debits and credits, and so on and so forth. But when you go into a general business environment and start working with the CEO, the CEO could care less about whether you're good at debits or cre and credits or whether what your tax knowledge is. What that CEO really wants to know is, is, that, is, is my CFO going to operate as a team member with myself, and my other management team members, and is, is he or she going to make a, an attempt to really learn the business? And nobody could care less about whether I was, again, good at accounting uh, or, or tax. I'm wondering, is there certain industries where tax uh, finance executives with a strong tax background are better positioned to become uh, finance leaders, CFOs, than others? In my honest opinion, Jack, no. Uh, I think what a CFO needs to do is leave their tax knowledge in the past, so to speak. That is, you still retain enough to be dangerous, but uh, you really have to make that transition to how do I, I become a difference maker in my organization? And tax, for most companies, taxes aren't what, is, what makes an individual as a CFO a difference maker. Tony, I, I loved your anecdote that you opened up with uh, regarding the HR person asking you if you wanted to be a, a tax nerd <laughs> going forward. You, you had this specialization, and I think a lot of finance executives uh, – perhaps uh, struggle uh, sometimes because they're, they're sort of the go-to person in their organization and there's a lot of responsibility that comes their way, but at the same time, it get, it's sort of they're, they're capped. There's a ceiling um, if they want to move uh, and become more senior. Am I describing something that you think is, is a reality or not necessarily? I think you're right on point, Jack. I, I think, again, what's important for a CFO 
to be effective is two important factors, and it's a transition that needs to be made. One, building relationships within your organization. But that's not enough. It's extremely important to build relationships, but that has to be combined with a sense of teamwork and a willingness to really dig in and learn the business and what makes that business tick. Uh, that's so important. It's one, you could have great relationships throughout the organization, but if you don't understand what your company or organization does, you're not going to have the respect it, it takes to, to make a difference. And the willingness to learn the business will be respected by the non-financial types that you have to work with that really makes a difference in your organization. And I'm wondering when you when you arrive at Helix, you have all this experience. Can you can you share with us the type of role you were wanting to create for yourself there? Uh, yes, that's a very good question. And I actually had a very different and unique uh, entrance into Helix. I was actually on the board of directors of Helix, and I was actually chairman of the audit committee. So, uh, and I was I was chairman of the audit committee for five plus years uh, before the board asked me to step in and help the CEO restructure the company. So, coming in from with that perspective and with having a mandate really uh, uh, put, put me in the right mindset of working on the big things and not the little things. And the fact that I came off the board actually gave me a lot of uh, gravitas within the organization because people look at board members as being, you know, one step removed from God. So uh, I was able to come in and, and set the objectives without a lot of resistance. So it was very helpful to me. What I learned from that point on, though, was real eye-opening to me. Uh, we can get into that if you'd like, Jack. But uh, so I came in with from a very unique perspective, knew what needed to be done, and felt that I had a team around me based on my knowledge of working with the finance team as audit committee chair to accomplish those objectives. Okay, we we are intrigued by your opener that you've mentioned. You're obviously alluding to the comment. What I learned after I came in was eye-opening to me. Is that what you're referring to? That Jack? is a great opener. Yes. Right. <laughs> okay. So, so even though I was on the board of directors of this company for five and a half years, I thought I really knew what was going on. But sort of like the cousin who visits every quarter. You really don't, don't know what makes a company tick until you actually start to live in the house. And when I moved into the house, so to speak, as chief financial officer, I realized how little I knew about the company and how much catch-up I needed to do to learn about what, what businesses, products, and services was the company good at and what business products and services that was the company not so good at. And, and, and that was a real eye-opener for me, how little I knew about the company. And then what happened, and, then, and the time period I entered was in the middle of 2008, right before the financial crisis. So all these grand plans and strategies I had to restructure the company and improve the balance sheet 
really got waylaid by the financial crisis. All of a sudden, uh, the banks were shut down for business. Uh, the economy started to head south. Being in the energy industry, we were somewhat of a slave to oil and gas prices. And when the economy goes down, oil and gas prices go down dramatically. It's a highly cyclical business. And then what ensued was a real eye-opener to me, something I never really worried about in, in my preceding 30-plus years uh, working in finance, uh, and that is cash. All of a sudden, cash was hard to get, and we were losing cash. And I realized that we were operating this ship blind. We didn't know what cash was going to be next week, the week after, 30 days from now. And all of a sudden, I began to appreciate how important cash was. And again, that was another seminal moment for me where we put in a, a robust cash flow forecasting system so we could get a, have a good handle on what cash looked like 30 days from now, 60 days from now, 90 days from now, and so on. And that was very, very important lesson learned for me, even in what I call my old age as a chief financial officer. Okay, excellent. Um Wanted to find out a little more uh, about Helix. Can you can you tell us the nature of the offerings uh, that this company has? We're primarily in, in two two basic uh, business services for the oil and gas industry, and we're 100% entirely offshore services. And anytime you operate offshore, and particularly in deep water. You're dealing with very sophisticated asset base and a very highly capital-intensive asset base. And what we do as a company is primarily fix problems with subsea wells. And what I mean by subsea wells is uh, wellheads that where oil and gas is produced that sit on the ocean bottom, often in anywhere from 2,000 to 10,000 feet of water. And how you access those wellheads to fix problems is what we specialize in. We have to enter those wellheads and do it in a very safe and environmentally friendly manner uh, and, and provide a service where we fix the problems that our customers have. So I think you've given us a few clues as far as what uh, measures were top of mind as you were uh, serving as CFO of Helix. But let me ask it uh, our favorite question, which is uh, what were the metrics uh, that you would uh, uh, look at before your first cup of coffee in the morning? What were they? Well, this may be a little particular to our industry, but I think uh, – general principle applies to almost every company unless what I say you're Apple or Coca-Cola. If you're Apple or Coca-Cola, you're generating just a pot full of free cash flow every day. If you're anybody else, well, you have to be worried about cash. And I, I look at two reports. One is a daily report and one is a weekly report that tells me how good the company is doing. And, and the first report I look at is the daily cash report. It's a snapshot, but over time you build a trend. And then even more importantly is what we call the weekly cash forecast and the trends involved with that weekly cash forecast. It, are we forecasting cash accurately? Is the cash we're forecasting going up or down? 
And if so, why? Or why not? So I'm uh, very cash-oriented. Uh, again, uh, part of it's in, in our industry. We're, uh, we're in a super cyclical business, and we have to worry about uh, the, the business haranguing up or, or ratcheting down real quickly, and cash is so important. And that, that is the most important reports. Those two are the most important reports during my career at Helix that I looked at. You know, something that is interesting about your career, a lot of CFOs who come up through the ranks will tell us uh, when they step into that office, they don't have all the boardroom experience uh, because they've come up, whereas you sort of did. You you were very familiar with the board and how it operated, and you had to get, you know, sink your teeth really into the businesses to understand. It's interesting. It's almost the uh, opposite of what other CFOs experience, which is, concern about how to communicate with the board and, and understanding the dynamics there. Uh, However, I would say, Jack, earlier in my career as CFO, I did not have board experience, so dealing with boards of directors was new to me. Uh, so I, 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 you know, earlier in my career, I did face the challenge of, of, oh, wow, you're dealing with these seasoned individuals that have been around a while, all of whom are successful. This is new to me, so I, I did have that challenge myself, Jim. Okay. Now, would you? Is there any advice you would give uh, to those CFOs who are uh, just beginning to uh, build a relationship with the board and understand better uh, how to present and what what not to cover, what to cover? Yes, I, I do. I think what's important is I go back to the point that a chief financial officer really needs to learn the business, really needs to get from behind his or her desk, get out among either the factory floor or visit remote locations uh, and talk to people that are not in the financial uh, organization and really make a great effort to learn what's going on. And if you make a great effort in learning what's going on, I use the term, you make the numbers come alive. You can really understand when you see a financial report generated from your organization, why those numbers trended positive or negative, whether you had variances that were positive or negative. So it makes the numbers come alive if you make a real effort to learn the business. Furthermore, the added benefit of that is you start to escape the, what I call the accounting mindset. You start to not sound like an accounting geek if you learn the business. You can talk in a business narrative communication style as opposed to debits and credits and pure numbers. Tell a story about the numbers. Don't recite the numbers. I think if you do that, you go a long way to gaining credibility with the board, board members, most of whom were either CEOs or CFOs earlier in their careers. We always like to ask for a finance strategic moment, an aha moment, uh, whereas somewhere along uh, your career, uh, you had a moment of strategic insight. I'm sure there were many moments. Uh, but uh, one where you took action, perhaps, and perhaps identified a risk, perhaps you saw an opportunity, whatever it might have been, uh, but uh, your unique lines of sight into the organization allowed you 
to see this, given your your uh, role as a finance leader? What what comes to mind? I tell you what comes to mind, and I go back to cash. Cash is so important. I have a quote that I, I I'm not aware of any CFO that was fired for having too much cash on a balance sheet. I know CFOs that were fired for having too little cash on the balance sheet. So my seminal moment is, uh, hey, I've always uh, tried to access the capital markets when they were open and raise capital. And I realized over time, and it's maybe perhaps more important in in an industry that's super cyclical like the one we operate in, at Helix, that nobody's ever going to blame you a year or two years from now from raising equity or raising some other form of capital and stashing it away. Uh, Yes, some shareholders don't like the dilution. You may be criticized in the short term, but I guarantee you, your board of directors will like you better if you're, you're sitting there with a nice cash cushion. And that's something I learned. Again, I go back to the example I gave when, when, uh, when things turned down in 2008 because of the financial crisis and the crash in commodity prices and cash started to dwindle. It's, it's so important for a CFO to ensure that there's adequate cash resources and work with their CEO and boards of directors to talk about building that cushion. In fact, uh, I saw an interview by uh, with Jamie Dimon, who's chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, considered perhaps the brightest financial mind in the world. And he was asked, what made J.P. Morgan Chase weather the 2008 financial crisis and better than other banks uh, who, who had to get a lot of TARP money or whatever? And he said, I believe in building an unassailable financial moat. And I'm thinking to myself, well, gee, that's J.P. Morgan Chase. That's one of the biggest banks in the world. What are they worried about cash for? But he had that attitude, and I said it's important for a CFO to think along the same lines. Do you have that unassailable financial moat that you can weather unexpected storms? Okay. I want to ask you about talent as well and whether – your sense of uh, how finance uh, influences uh, an organization's workforce has evolved over time. And again, there's sort of this popular uh, internet post that we see from time to time where the CFO asks the CEO, what happens if we spend money training our people and then they leave? And the CEO responds, what happens if we don't? And they stay. Curious what your thoughts are on how uh, finance and the organ its influence on the organization's workforce today. What are the priorities that you, as a finance leader, may have had um, when it comes to the workforce? I would say uh, let me divide this into two subsets: one, talent in the financial organization, and two, supporting a well-motivated workforce as CFO. So let me touch on the latter, which I think is, 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 is the little antidote you gave about the CFO-CEO conversation is so important. 
I think a CFO has to think in very strategic terms and not just in terms of numbers. And talent is everything in almost any organization. A CFO should not stand in the way of good compensation practices to save a dime, so to speak. Uh, I think it's very important also in fostering good relationships with the rest of the organization, not to look like a money changer. Now, sure, you should not, uh, uh, you should always raise the red flag when money is being wasted, but money spent on talent and human capital is extremely important, and it's important for the CFO to support that. But let me go to my other thought about talent within the finance organization. The, the job of the CFO has gotten more complicated over time. The job of the CFO is often considered the second most important position in the organization after the CEO. So what's happened to make the CFO's job more complicated over time? A, a lot more regulation. You have Sarbanes-Oxley, you have Dodd-Frank. Uh, all that has added a significant layer of complexity. I think the second most important driver behind adding complexity to CFO's job is globalism. Uh, most companies uh, uh, that we work for have some global reach, and anytime you go outside your home country, and let's say for for purpose of this discussion, your home country is the United States, well, then you're getting into foreign currency, you're getting into different trade practices, you're getting into different cultural practices. All that affects uh, the CFO's job and makes it more complex. I'm a big believer in hiring the best talent you can in the organization because the CFO can't be the world's greatest tax expert, the world's greatest cash management expert, the world's greatest accounting expert. Your job as the CFO should be to hire the best talent you can, motivate them, and lead that, lead that talent forward. As we move to our mentoring round, Tony would love the opportunity to ask you about your book, why uh, you decided to sit down and write a book at this point in time. It's known as The Successful CFO. You can find it on Amazon. What, uh, what led you to uh, decide to write a book? A few years ago, I was serving as chairman of the audit committee of another public company. I won't mention the name. And the CFO that I oversaw as chairman of the audit committee was a fairly young CFO. So I'd go to audit committee meetings and I'd, I'd listen to the CFO describe the financial performance of the company. And I also saw the struggles that the CFO was having with the financial organization. And it, I sort of realized, hey, I've got some gray hair now, I'm old, but maybe I learned something in my career. And I would have put that down in writing. Uh, and, and maybe I, I can pass along a couple pearls of wisdom to people who either aspired to be CFOs or were CFOs 
and and maybe there's one or two bits that could help them. So I wanted to put it in the book, and that's what inspired me to write the book. This uh, just recently published. Yeah, was published uh, last month, September of 2012. Now you are serving in a capacity of a senior advisor to the company, and you're an executive vice president. And this is all part of what I would characterize really as a succession planning effort that's allowed you to pass the torch. Uh, to a new CFO. Yes, I I feel that an important and integral part of a CFO's job is to groom and or mentor a or or a couple or three people that are potential successors. That is an important part of a CFO's job, particularly if you're interested in doing something else in life. like being a CEO or whatever, because often if you're, if you're the CFO and you want to be the CEO, the board is going to ask you, well, who's your successor? How can I promote you if you can't tell me who your successor is? So uh, I'm a big believer, again, as I mentioned earlier, in having fantastic talent around you. They make you look better. Uh, you can't think of all the great ideas in the world. Hopefully, your direct reports come up with the great ideas because they're motivated people, they're bright people, and they want to also climb the executive ladder. So I've, I've set out from almost the beginning at Helix to groom a successor. And I felt that when that successor was ready, it was time for me to step up uh, uh, away from the job because that successor needed to be rewarded. And so uh, in connection with my uh, ultimate game plan, which is to retire from the company, I, I, I got the board comfortable in accepting who I had designated as my successor as ready to be CFO. And they asked me to, to sort of speak, hang around for a while and to continue to mentor and make sure there was a smooth transition. So I really, I really am uh, quite pleased that I accomplished my objective of hiring great talent and developing and mentoring that talent to become CFO. Yeah, and let me let me talk about uh, a little bit, if I could, Jack. Is wh- what did I do to help that person uh, become CFO? What steps did I take? Um, how, how did I help mentor? Well, first of all, I think it's important to, to do uh, a couple things. Uh, one, give up responsibility. Do less and hand responsibility over to your successor. Uh, there's, no ex- there's no exception for learn by doing. Uh, secondly, I think it's important to give your uh, successor presence among uh, the executive management team and the board. Uh, If the board can't accept the successor as being the right person, it'll never work. You have to give your your hand-picked successor an opportunity to perform in front of the board, in front of other executive management members, and they could decide on their own whether they agree with you that this person you've identified is a potential CFO and, and someday will step into your shoes. 
Uh, we then usually take our traditional path uh, with these questions where I always like to ask what's exciting you about business and finance uh, today. What's What do you find uh, most interesting? I think business and finance is getting more complex. Um uh, Certainly, the financial crisis of 2008, as I mentioned earlier, has made it more complicated um, as a CFO. The banks have stricter standards in terms of lending money. Uh, the capital markets aren't always open, although they are open now. Uh, so, so in a way, the more complex, the more exciting in my eyes, Jack. Uh, I, I think there's more to learn, and also as 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 the world becomes closer, and as we can become more global organizations, I, I think it's also exciting to deal with different cultures, uh, different experiences. I guarantee you, as a CFO, if you have operations in Europe, your European financial talent has a he typically has different cultural uh, biases than your your folks that you may be dealing with in the U.S. And I find that exciting as well. And and how you adapt to those different cultures is very important because they may be motivated differently in Europe, in Southeast Asia, in South America than they are in the United States or Canada. What do you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? I wish somebody would have told me work on relationships. I think relationship building is so important for the CFO's role. And, again, most of us that are CFOs grew up in some kind of highly technical financial function, whether it was tax, accounting, auditing, treasury, whatever. And we often become uh, very comfortable um, very comfortable with our natural sort of uh, expertise. But when you move into the CFO's role, all of that's important for building a foundation. However, what's more important is building relationships. I learned that over time, but it's something I wish I, I would have known more naturally when I first became a CFO. Is there a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Show up at the office early. I mean, it's very simple, but uh, the, the people who work for you really notice what you do, more so than you think. If you're a person that rolls in at 9.30, they're going to wonder, how committed is that is that individual? Maybe you work late, but they notice more that you weren't in at 7.30 in the morning, so to speak. So I think making a habit as much as you can, I know there are, are become conflicts in your schedule to actually get to the office early and get started and look at the key reports you need to look at and then come out of your office and start talking to people. Uh, 
I wrote this book, The Successful CFO, and one of the points I make in there is spend as much time outside of your office, and when I mean your office, your actual uh, office and your desk, spend as much time outside of the office as you do sitting in your office. That's so important. Thought Leader listeners don't go anywhere. We'll be asking Tony a few more questions about his new book, CFO Success, and we have Tony provide some CFO succession planning tips right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Curious about the book. Did you break it into chapters? And I'm curious what what chapters you may have, uh, you know, what you focused on in those chapters. Uh, what would you tell us? So I have what I call the five uh, pillars of success that a CFO needs to master. Uh, the five key success factors, let's say. <laughs> And those factors uh, are divided into five chapters. One is, um, and, and, and certainly the most important, is transitioning from being a doer to an influencer. Um, and how do you do that? You do that two ways. Build relationships, learn about the business, learn about the organization. Uh, the second important factor I mentioned is talent. You really need to hire the best talent you can possibly hire. As a CFO in today's complicated world, you're not going to know everything about all aspects of finance. Hopefully you hire the people who do. The third aspect is uh, managing the balance sheet. I think cash management is so important and ensuring the adequate uh, uh, liquidity and financial resources so the company can weather the ups and downs of whatever business they're in. Uh, another chapter is what I call how you translate financial information and how I feel it's important to communicate in a business manner and not in a bean counter's manner. If you start talking like a bean counter to other members of the management team, to your board, to your investors, you're going to be pretty boring. And the fifth aspect is what I call generating timely financial information. I think it's so important for a CFO to streamline the, the, the financial function, the financial reporting function, so that numbers are generated very quickly, within a week, let's say. Because if you're generating let's say October's results in early December, by then it's ancient history. Uh, so the, the sooner you close the books and provide the financial results to the rest of the organization, 
the quicker an organization can uh, adapt, make changes to any problems that exist. So, so I, I, that is what I call the fifth pillar of, of success for a CFO is generating very timely financial information. Wanted to, uh, we usually wrap up with the question as, you know, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? More appropriately, I was thinking we might want to ask, um, you know, what would you identify as uh, the key aspects of uh, successful CFO succession? Um, is that, uh, do you feel that's appropriate or is uh, anything else come to mind for you that we would best wrap up? Sure. And again, I'm, I'm, you know, again, planning to retire here pretty soon. And I've been working with my successor to ensure a smooth transition and, and, and helping them with uh, his focus. In, in my case, it happens to be a male. So I'm helping them with his focus. And I, I, I keep harping on some of the same themes that are in my book. And, and I keep saying, Look at your cash forecast. Do you think we're going to have adequate cash? What do we need to be doing to ensure that we have adequate cash? And that's the, the themes I've been working on here in terms of mentoring my successor and making sure also that, that my successor gets out from his desk and goes visits our remote locations and gets to uh, build relationships with people throughout the organization. Tony Tripoto, thank you for joining us on CFO Fault Leader. You're welcome, Jack. Uh, I hope this was meaningful. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at CFOFaultLeader.com.